Spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer? Here's a camping hack from L.L. Bean to make your next trip the best yet. Tired of your tentmate's flashlights shining in your eyes in camp? Bring an empty half-gallon milk jug or clear water bottle. Simply strap a headlamp around it, and it becomes a soft white lantern for everyone to see the light. For more camping hacks, visit youtube.com slash L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. Welcome back to the Final Four is not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. And next up on the schedule, Michigan State takes on Louisville, who's 5-1 and one on this season. Um, they get them at home. Uh, Louisville's coming off a win at the tournament in the Bahamas, uh, where they beat Mississippi State and Maryland fairly handily. Um, but they struggled earlier in the year at home against Detroit, and then they lost um, to Furman in overtime. Um and then they've got a win against Southern and Navy. Uh, but, Rod, this will be the first game back for Chris Mack after a six-game suspension coming into this uh, season. Yeah. Um, it, what's the story behind that? It's it's an interesting time at Louisville because um, people may or may not remember it, it happened during the offseason, but Chris Mack decided to clean house with his staff. And he fired uh, a guy named Dean Gaudio and also Luke Murray, who careful viewers might have caught is Bill Murray's son and is now on the staff at UConn. But he'd been with Chris Mack at Xavier before he was at Louisville. Dean Gaudio had been a Chris Mack friend for years and years. So it was really – it caught some people off guard that he did it last year. And I, I would suspect that the reason for that is Louisville's um, performance under Chris Mack I don't think has matched what they would have expected um, in terms of reasonable expectations for that program and also, you know, what – what he's been as a coach. I mean, that that hire was pretty well celebrated, you know, when they got him from, from Xavier to replace the disgraced Rick Pitino. You know, last year they were 13-7, and seven, didn't get an NCAA tournament bid. Um, the year prior, they would have gotten an NCAA tournament bid, but they were, you know, 24-7, and seven, which sounds okay, but that year they didn't have looking at their performance. They did have a win over Michigan, but otherwise they were losing to most of the good opponents they played. They did beat Duke as well, um, you know, but not a horrible year. But again, not, this is a program that, and they were twenty and fourteen in, I believe, his yeah twenty and fourteen in his first year there. So three years doesn't sound like a lot, and it's not, but. You know, one, this wasn't really a rebuilding job in the way that a lot of these places are. Mm-hmm. You know, there was some of that when Patino was fired. You remember David Padgett had a year as an interim um, after Patino was dismissed. But, you know, th- this wasn't uh, scorched earth like Indiana after Kelvin Sampson, you know, what Tom Crane walked into mm-hmm. or uh, or some other situations have been over the years. And And Chris Mack is a guy that, just had a great reputation. I mean, if you go back about four or five years, the names that were red hot 
in the quote-unquote mid-major. I would argue Xavier really isn't a mid-major. Certainly not now. They're they're in the Big East. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go back about four or five years, the hottest names at that time, the guys everybody was speculating, well, where are they going to go when they decide to make their move up to the big, big time, would be Archie Miller when he was at Dayton. And then mm-hmm. I think you could argue Chris Holtman at Butler and Chris Mack. And, you know, it's interesting that, and they varied, of course. Chris Holtman has been far from a disaster, but as I've said here before, I would argue he's at least slightly underachieved in terms of what the Ohio State job can be, as Thad Mata demonstrated pretty clearly, and arguably Jim O'Brien before him. Um, Archie Miller's already been fired from Indiana, and Chris Mack, you know, Look, when you go fire guys who have been long, it's it's like if Tom Izzo had had responded to last season, and the circumstances are not nearly the same, of course. Tom Izzo's got uh, infinity credibility banked. You know, mm-hmm. he can do whatever the hell he wants. But um, it would kind of be akin to him firing Dane Fife and DJ Stevens. You know, mm-hmm. or maybe even better yet, DJ Stevens and Mike Garland. You know, it might even be closer. I guess my understanding is Mac had a relationship with Dean Gaudio for forever. Mm-hmm. So to me, that means one of two things. Either he just saw that it just was not working with these guys and or he's starting to feel some pressure there. You have to understand Louisville is not everywhere. Louisville's not Ohio State, mm-hmm. for example. I just said Chris Holtman, in my mind, has kind of slightly underachieved. Nobody's agitating to fire Chris Holtman. Um, At Louisville, that fan base expects Final Fours. They expect national title contention. And that's it. That's the bottom line. And and they, they have those expectations because they've had a long run under two coaches where that's exactly what they got. In Denny Crum for forever. And then, um, and then Rick Pitino, of course. Mm-hmm. So they've they've been blessed with a long, long run of having that kind of stuff be a reasonable expectation. And thus far, Chris Mack hasn't sniffed it. Hasn't yeah. in three years has not come close to being at that kind of level. And he's had a lot of roster turnover. Um, he's had to go into the portal. He did it last year. He's done it again this year. Um, not that that's a sin, but it it does demonstrate that you know there have been some holes in the roster, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe he felt like the assistants he had weren't um, weren't holding their end up in terms of recruiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I know I do know that thus far, you know, they haven't really developed a guy on their own who's been truly great. The guys who have had good seasons that were internal Louisville guys. Um, were holdovers from Patino's era. You know, mm-hmm. they might have had bigger years like the Nuora kid did under under Mac, but he was a he was a Patino guy if I remember correctly. Um so the situation with the suspension as I understand it and I don't recall all the details, but there was an extortion attempt by Dean Gaudio when he got wind of the fact that he was going to be fired. Uh and you know he said he was going to expose some violations. I can't remember the details as to what they were. They, they weren't on the usual Louisville level. It wasn't anything <laughs> to do with prostitutes or having affairs or 
even paying families, you know, six figures. It wasn't anything like that. But they were claim, he claimed they were violations, and nothing came of it. But if I remember correctly, I think Chris Mack taped him. And so that was seen as a problem that needed to be punished. And so consequently, he had to sit out for the first six games. And now they've got him back, as you say, in time for this one. I think that if you look at their performance, the start wasn't great. Furman's not a bad team. Uh, They finished in the top 100 last year in Ken Palm, and Uh he's got them currently at 110 for whatever that's worth. But that's not bad. So although you lose at home, you don't ever want to lose a game like that. That it's not quite the disaster it might appear to be on the surface. Um, you know, they played a very tight game with U of D, only beat them by six. So that that might say something. But then they went into this, you know, the the non Atlantis Bahamas tournament, the tournament in the Bahamas that nobody cared about. And uh <laughs> and they beat Mississippi State pretty soundly by 14, and then kind of pulled away from Maryland late to win that game by eight. So overall, I would say, given the fact they didn't have their head coach for any of this, not a bad start. Um, They're a very good team thus far defensively, not very good on offense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, 94th in offensive efficiency for them, 12th on defense, though. and just for people that are curious, MSU's 59th on offense and second on defense now. Right. Yeah, and again, you take these numbers with a little bit of a grain of salt because they're still they're still, still early. Yeah, they're still they're still including some of the some of the stuff that that Pomeroy uses at the start of the season, which is sort of his black box. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really um, he doesn't really tell you. Uh, what goes into? I mean, I can guess what goes into the ratings he begins the season with, but um, it is a guess, and, and that's certainly whatever that is is subject to you know some level of subjectivity. It has to be mm-hmm. because you're trying to factor in how new players are going to function, and you know there's all yeah, definitely yeah. a definitely a lot of a lot of questions with that, but. Um, I do think some of this stuff gives us a window into uh, into what these teams are, and mm-hmm. and I, I think it's a decent starting point for uh, for considering Louisville, as you say, um, pretty good defensively, maybe not as good offensively. I mean, if we dig into it a little bit more, uh, as I say, it's been a little rough on offense. They they don't shoot well from three. I mean, if you've got problems with Michigan State's three point shooting. You're not going to like Louisville. They're sub 30% as a team from three. So they've been really bad. Just, I haven't, haven't glanced. I guess I, I can right now since I've got it up where Michigan State is currently from three. Um, yeah, Michigan State, a bad second half against Baylor took them down to 32%. Uh, but they were at 35% at halftime mm-hmm. for that game. So they'd actually, uh, it actually, recovered after a rough start. And I would argue that the first two and a half games they played in the Bahamas, they shot the ball very, very well from deep. So yeah. if you're charitably inclined, you can interpret that to mean the Michigan State is starting to round into the form is expected of them where, you know, they actually are shooting the ball competently. Louisville's really struggled in in that phase of the game. Um, yeah. 
Otherwise, uh, they're only 118th nationally from two, which is not quite the same level of disaster, but it's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, by, by contrast, um, Michigan State is a little worse from two at 147, but, um, you know, they, they make up for it in some other areas that Louisville really isn't. Yeah. Uh, they have a high turnover percentage as well, 20.5% for them. Yeah, MSU is a little worse at 22.1, but it's close. Mm-hmm. Uh, they shoot free throws poorly. They're just under 68% as a team, so they're worse than MSU. They're a mediocre offensive rebounding team. They don't get to the line a ton either. So there's really there's nothing on this team offensively that stands out as a strength at the moment. You know, they're just kind of struggling all the way around. Defensively, it's another story. They're really good against threes. They're 70th in terms of the percentage they're giving up. They're also not letting opponents shoot a ton of them, so that's the stuff that really matters. And they're really strong against twos. They're 19th in the country. And what's interesting to me about that is, you know, in, in modern basketball, with the way the game's evolved, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes there's a correlation between being really good against twos and having effective rim protection. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of been Michigan State's formula so far. Uh, as an example, they don't, they don't do that. They're only number 222 in block percentage. MSU's 22nd. Hmm. Um, so that tells me that this, this is a team that's probably taking on a little bit of the personality of, of their head coach. Chris Mack's teams at Xavier certainly had always been you know, non-gambling teams, they were just solid. They had a lot of solid physical guys, and they made it tough for you to get good shots. And I think that's what this team is doing. Um, they're a good defensive rebounding team at number 38. Um, they don't generate many turnovers, as I said. They're not rim protecting at a high level, but yet they're getting the job done. So think about this as kind of almost a a traditional Big Ten defensive team, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of their style. They're not going to do a lot of flashy stuff, but they're going to be good. So that's what they're hanging their hats on thus far, is they're checking very well. Offensively, it's been a struggle. Yeah. Uh, So you look at their starters. uh, Jared West, 5'11", grad transfer from Marshall, um, averaging – 6.7 6.7 points a game, 39 from the floor, 26 from three, 64 from the line. Um, but he does lead them in uh, assists, 3.5 to 1.3 turnovers. Yeah, and that's a that's an okay number in the sense that for a high turnover team, you you feel okay about the fact that at least your point guard isn't struggling there. Mm. You know, that, that's kind of been an issue with MSU is that Walker and Hogarth have had their own struggles. Uh, yeah. with turnovers. It hasn't just been other guys. Here, West is doing a decent job taking care of the ball. He Look, the bottom line is he's just been a lot less productive thus far than he was um, at, during his time at Marshall, which isn't a surprise. When, when you're taking, we talk about it all the time, you take these steps up in class as a player, it is just not a given that you're going to produce the way that you did at the lower level. You know, you look back mm-hmm. at him last year, he led Conference USA in assists, six per game. Well, currently he's averaging three and a half. So about 60-some percent of mm-hmm. uh, of what he did last year, you know. 
he shot 40.5% from three. He's at 26% right now. Some of that could smooth out and even out over the course of the season, but, you know, I, I think there's something to be said. We Last year kind of blew apart a little bit my general thesis on this. Uh, I have long been a believer that it is very difficult for a mid-major or low-major transfer to come up to the Big Ten level and replicate um, what uh, what they what they did at the lower level. And then mm-hmm. Mike Smith went out and and just tore it up for Michigan. I mean, wasn't a dominant player statistically, but man, he was exactly what that team needed. And the, and they're finding out so far this year. A guy who was arguably more productive at the lower level, Devontae Jones, has really struggled mm-hmm. with making uh, the step up from Coastal Carolina. Um, it is just not a given. And so whether Jared West can pick it up from here or not remains to be seen. I know it's not all on him. They've got a lot of other guys that have got to play better than they have. But um, this is just an example of what can happen. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then they get – Noah Locke, a 6'3 transfer from Florida, who's leading them in scoring 13 points a game. Um, he's really the only double-digit scorer right now. 39 from the floor, 35 from three, 78 from the line. Yeah, you know, way, way back in uh, in the Stone Age, I believe, if I go back to refresh my memory, I'm going I'm to look at this as we're talking. I believe he was on the Florida team that MSU beat in the winter of 2018. If you remember, that was a game that they put away. It was a, I think it was a loose ball and a dunk by Kyle Arns. Oh, yes. yes. He did play in that game. The backcourt in that game for Florida, two of the starters were Noah Locke and Andrew Nemhard, who is now the point guard for Gonzaga. That's how far back we're going. Nembhard had a good game, and I remember that. He had 13 points in that game. Locke only scored two, but he played 20 minutes. So um, so he has seen Michigan State in the past. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's a good player, he's, and he's definitely a guy they really need. Look, he was a 40% shooter from three last year for Florida, so, you know, he's at 35 right now. I would think that they believe he's got another gear in him. But that's really primarily what he brings, along with defense. Uh, he's not any kind of playmaker. He's got two assists on the season in six games versus 11 turnovers. So he's been one of the guys that's been a problem. But um, he's the only guy who's in double digits for him right now on a per-night basis and obviously a key player. Yeah. Uh, and then Dre Davis, six six sophomore, averaging 7.8 points a game, 38 from the floor, only 17 from three, and 77 from the line. Yeah, playing 90, he's starting, but playing 19 minutes a game. So one of these guys that's kind of sharing that position really with an, a veteran player, Samuel Williamson, that we'll mention in a few minutes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, decent. Obviously, that that three point number is horrendous, and he's actually taking um, a fair amount of them, which uh, is probably more trouble. <laughs> he's averaging he's averaging three attempts per game. Oh yeah, uh, from three. And so he's he's three for eighteen on the season. Uh, and then Jalen Withers, six eight sophomore, seven point seven points a game, fifty from the floor, thirty three from three, seventy five from the line. Uh, but he is getting six 
2.2 rebounds a game, which is yeah, second for you know, solid, good rebounder, obviously, solid player, um, nothing spectacular, um, you know, okay production from three. He's basically one for three every night, um, mm-hmm. and that's your four man. You can live with that, I think, probably, because uh, he's pretty effective inside the arc. Interestingly, he is though slightly above 50 percent of his shots in total are coming from deep. I mean, is a team that's – part of the problem for Louisville is they have shot the three ball horribly, and, they're, and they shoot a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, as a team, they are shooting – I mean, it's not, it's not horrible, I guess. It's um, – let me do some quick math here. There's definitely a couple of games in there where they were like 7 for 28. <laughs> yeah, it's – Okay, 42% of their shots overall are from three. So if, if this was above 50, you'd be like, wow, there's a real problem. Um, but it's still bad enough, you know? Yeah. Um, when you're shooting this poorly, you got to find other ways to score. And I think the problem is they, they just may not have as many. But you would hope that some of these guys, um, you know, Withers, it's not too bad because, again, 33%, you're, you're right at the line where you can say, all right, that's – that's acceptable um, if you're shooting a lot, but uh, but some of these other guys, yeah, you would you would hope they'd rein it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Malik Williams down low, they got six eleven senior, um, eight points a game, nine point eight rebounds and a block, shooting forty one from the floor, twenty and sixty eight on the season. Yeah, you know, uh, th- there's been some media in the last week or so that that's talked about him, and it's. I, I, I don't feel too badly for him because, look, they, these are still solid numbers and he's able to play at this level. But um, this is a guy who people may remember was firmly on MSU's recruiting radar in 2017. There was a fairly big group of four men that mm-hmm. Michigan State was recruiting that year. And for a while, like in the spring and maybe even into the early summer, I think the belief was Malik Williams was going to be the guy. Mm-hmm. Michigan State. They were also recruiting Kyle Young, who ended up at Ohio State, Isaiah Livers, who ended up at Michigan, and a guy named Jaron Jackson, who ended up at Michigan State. Um, when Malik Williams was a high school player, his profile wasn't that dissimilar to Jaron Jackson's. You know, they, the other two guys were smaller and, you know, more of conventional, you know, Livers maybe less so, but Kyle Young, you know what he is as a player. Um, But uh, this guy, very long, 6'11", they thought could shoot, good athletic ability. You know, that's not a very different profile from Jaron Jackson. One thing that is the case is over that spring and summer, Jaron Jackson went from being considered a good prospect to a great one. Mm-hmm. And that, in the end, I think you know Michigan State got by far the most talented of those guys. I mean, it's not even close. But Malik has had problems with injuries his whole tenure at Louisville. Multiple ankle injuries, multiple foot injuries. Just has never really been able to get 100% straight. And at this point, there's a sense that he's had some of those physical gifts sapped from mm-hmm. him. And he doesn't have the horsepower athletically that he once had, but, you know, again, you look at the production, you don't love the shooting numbers necessarily from deep, um, 
But uh, and he's taken a lot of them. He's he's taken two and a half attempts per game. So you'd, you'd either like to see that slow down or you know improve that percentage. But um, good rebounder, obviously a veteran presence, knows the game. So he'll be a he'll be a challenge for Michigan State. But he's just he's not the guy that he once was, and it's it's not his fault. Mm. Uh, so off the bench, they bring in Samuel Williamson, six seven junior, plays about twenty two minutes a game. Um, he's averaging eight point seven points, six point two rebounds, uh, shooting forty six twenty five and thirty three. Yeah, you know, I mentioned Dre Davis is kind of a starter in name only. Uh-huh. He's he's really sharing that position, and Williamson is actually playing a little more than he is. Um, second leading scorer, second leading rebounder. Again, the three-point shooting, you know, 25%. That's that's not going to wow anybody, um, and and he's doing that. Um, fortunately for him, not on many attempts, though. He's the one guy who is playing within himself. He's only taken four of them out of 52 shots this year. <laughs> but but then you also have to look at it and say, okay, well, that means you don't have a three-point threat out there. Mm-hmm. So he's a guy Michigan State probably doesn't have to worry about very much from deep. Uh, but a good player overall and a guy who now as a junior has been around a while. Yeah. Uh, and then Matt Cross, six seven sophomore transfer from Miami, Florida. Uh, a guy they probably do need to keep an eye out for. 7.3 points yeah. per game in about 18 minutes off their bench. Shooting 50%, 47 from three and 69 from the line. And he's taken a lot of them. Lot yeah, of just, just over half of his attempts are from out there. Uh, he also shot 40% from three at Miami so last year, so not a surprise. He's been productive. And, and honestly, on a team that's really struggling from out there, you can obviously see the role that he is playing and the role they need him to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then LLS, 6'3", Juco transfer, averaging four and a half points a game. 39 and 67 from the line. Yeah, you know, the 9% thing is is uh is is not great. Um, <laughs> to say the least. He's 1 for 11 on the season. Mm. Um uh, you know, I mean, I, they they need backcourt depth, you know, they need some of these guys to actually come through and produce for them. Um and it's it's not happening with a lot of these guys, but we'll see. Uh, and then Mason Faulkner, 6'1 grad transfer from Western Carolina, um, 3.8 points a game on 45, 50, and 69 in 14 minutes. Yeah, and, and low low shooting volume. He's not in there to shoot a lot. It's It's good for them that he's been productive when he has taken shots. He's four for eight from three on the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and five for 11 overall. So obviously most of his shots have come from deep. Uh, but what I like about him is on a team that's also struggled with turnovers, he's got 15 assists to just six turnovers. So he's primarily serving as a backup point guard and has done a decent job, you know, in keeping things humming, not making a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sidney Curry, a 6'8". 250-pound Juco transfer, averaging 2.6 points per game, two two rebounds in about eight minutes. Yeah, you know, he's six for seven from the floor, so that's good. Uh, but he's, he's not playing a big role. So I think for him, you're just talking about 
um, an insurance policy behind Malik mm-hmm. Williams. So that's the thing. This team doesn't really have or they don't play anybody else who's really particularly big. So because Curry's 6'8", 250, he definitely has a role. It's just, you know, as we said, seven minutes a game. They're playing Malik Williams 27. So, you know, they're getting by with Withers or, or you're going small ball the other few minutes. But Curry's got a role, but it's not a big one. Yeah, you know, this lineup for Louisville seems like a pretty cobbled together deal here. I mean, you got a couple of Juco transfers, you got a couple of grad transfers, some regular transfers. That's I mean, what I, that's that's what I said, you know, and and that's kind of been if you remember last year, they beat Michigan State out for a guy Carrot Jones who in retrospect would have been a pretty big addition for Michigan State at the point guard. He wasn't a superstar, but he was solid. And so they had to go into the portal for him. They've mm-hmm. kind of had to play this game since since max been there and and look that alone is not an indictment of your program i mean in this environment this era very clearly we're seeing that uh you know it's just how it is you're going to have year-to-year rosters there's going to be turnover michigan state's not an exception to that you know but i agree with you this is a lot of change, and that's what makes me think that perhaps some of what led to the uh, the changes in their coaching staff might have been related to recruiting. Mm-hmm. That he felt like these guys just weren't doing the job. I my belief is, and I think most people who know know how it goes will tell you this. Um, in in big time college basketball, maybe as opposed to football. It really is about your head coach. I mean, your assistants are important, certainly. And and if you're working angles, like you've got a guy, you know, let's say you're you're a head coach who's come into a job and you're not from that part of the country and you need to hire a staff with some locals on it, okay, then it might matter a little bit, at least early in your tenure, getting established. But for the most part, it's the head coach. And mm-hmm. so I don't know if that was part of Chris Mack's um, feeling on this as to why he needed to make changes. But when you look at the roster turnover, it, it is sort of suggestive of something, right? Yeah, I mean, there it doesn't even appear they have one freshman on the lineup at all, and he doesn't really yeah. impact them very much. I mean, then they don't even really have a whole lot of guys at all, really. That I mean, you know, maybe a handful that they've actually – recruited this is not they've they've lost you know it's it's funny his first his initial burst there he had a a pretty highly regarded class or two but a lot of those guys have left and i I know i know one or two of them are playing at iona for rick patino um Hmm. you know there's there's definitely been turnover within their roster as well it's not just those coaches and and the bottom line is, if you look at this Louisville team, there's just not a lot of star power. That doesn't mean they can't be a good team. I mean, they're fully capable of beating Michigan State tomorrow if Michigan State doesn't play well. There's mm-hmm. make no mistake about that. But uh, th- you know, we're I'm used to when I think about Louisville. You know, you think about high level players, and obviously that has something to do with 
you know, Denny Crum and Rick Pitino always had guys mm-hmm. who were, were big-time players. You know, they had their share of All-Americans and first-round draft picks and all of that. You look at this team, and I don't see the NBA players. I mean, I don't see anybody. Mm-hmm. Maybe once upon a time you could have said that about Malik Williams, but I think with his injuries, I don't think that's likely. Um, and beyond that, you know, Noah Locke's their best player. He's all right. He's a he's a good solid player, but we're not talking about an NBA guy most likely. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of jarring to see a Louisville team without that kind of horsepower that you you know that we're used to Louisville teams that had you know kind of freaky athletes a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, you know, big. I, I go back to what was that guy's name in 2012 in the Sweet 16. Jang, their big man, he just dominated the game, you know, incredibly long. Mm-hmm. Um, you had, you know, guys like that. You see, you've had a lot of star power there, and this just isn't that kind of Louisville team. What it is is a team that I think, um, you know, when you're, when you're good defensively, you give yourself a chance to be competitive. Mm-hmm. So this is a team that's going to have to grind its way to victories. I think that's pretty clear. They're not likely, other than maybe the odd night where they catch fire, they're not likely to just blow the doors off of anybody with what they do offensively. They're going to have to grind games out. And and give them credit. The two games in the Bahamas, Mississippi State's not good. I've actually seen them play a little bit because I wanted to see how Rocket was looking, and it it wasn't good. (laughs) He has not played very much. (laughs) He has not, and he hasn't played well. Um, But, uh, you know, that, that, that one didn't do much for me. But Maryland... I think Maryland is still very much trying to find itself, so I don't think it means a ton. But beating them is a pretty good – that's a pretty good win, you know. Mm-hmm. You, that, that's a team that I think most people figure is a tournament team. So, you know, the same things that we said about beating Loyola and beating UConn, that would definitely apply to that win um, for uh, for Louisville. To say, well, they beat a team people expect to be in the tournament, that on a neutral floor, that's good. That's a tier one win. So give them credit where credit's due. I just, it's, yeah, it's just not what we're used to seeing from this program. And I think that's why maybe there's some discontent among boosters that expect that stuff. They expect top ten recruiting classes and final four contention and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So you look at the keys, Rod, turnovers is the first one on here. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same old song and dance. You know, we saw it like a roller coaster in the Bahamas. Struggled mm-hmm. mightily against Loyola. Pretty damn good performance against UConn. And then struggled again, particularly in the second half against Baylor. Uh, the, the Baylor one, in every respect, I kind of, as we talked about, I disregard the second half a little bit. I think Michigan State just looked like a tired team. But... Um, Though the bottom line is both of these teams are terrible in this area. So if either one has a decisive advantage, that's probably going to mean something, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then offensive glass. Yeah. Uh, similarly to the Baylor game, if I remember correctly, this is a, a strength against a strength. Louisville is pretty mediocre on its offensive boards. Michigan State is a little better on the defensive glass, but they're not a great defensive rebounding team this year. Um, but uh, but I think that um, you look at Michigan State, 
is a top 50 offensive rebounding team right now, and Louisville's a top 40 defensive rebounding team. So it's strength against strength in that matchup. Mm. If Michigan State can get work done on the offensive glass, that's going to be a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and then transition. Louisville, kind of a half-court defensive team, but you might be able to get some easier buckets on them. I think it's, you know, they, they're not a great offensive rebounding team, so that's good news. If Michigan mm-hmm. State can control its defensive glass reasonably well, that should allow them to get into transition. I'm, I'm to the point that I'm pretty confident that Michigan State is going to try to push, uh-huh. okay, because they've done that uh, pretty consistently in these first whatever it is. We have eight games now, seven games, whatever it is. Seven. Um, the question is, can they beat Louisville down the court and get some easy opportunities? This is the kind of game where you would hope that there might be some opportunities. It's a program that's not used to playing you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a coach that hasn't played Michigan, I think he's coached one time. If you remember, they sprang that upset against Michigan oh. State. Back in, in, in Max's first year, yeah, down there, um, and uh, but still, you would you would hope that maybe there would be some opportunities there, you know. And as you mentioned, it's a team that kind of is cobbled together a little bit. So mm-hmm. they've been very good defensively. I give them credit for that, but maybe they're going to be a little more susceptible to a team pushing the ball the way Michigan State pushes it again. With a good half-court defense like this, you want to maximize the number of easy ones you get. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then threes, both ways, both hitting them and preventing them. Well, we, we spent time talking about Louisville from three. They've been awful. Mm-hmm. So if you're Michigan State, you need to keep that rolling. You, know, you don't want a bust-out game from Louisville. And, and so the best way you ensure that is, of course, you make – you make sure that every shot they take is tough. You hold down attempts, and and then you hope and assume that the percentage is not very good. You know that's what you're looking to do. But the other way, as we mentioned, Michigan State's at 32% as a team. That's that's not good enough. But I would maintain they made real progress in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Five out of six halves, they shot the three extremely well. They were up to 35% on the year as a team at halftime of the Baylor game. And then the second half, they just couldn't buy one, you know, because I think the legs were tired. Um, so I, I kind of – it doesn't mean that they automatically go back to hitting them again in this game, but I think overall you have to look at the Bahamas as a positive step you know, that you did that, and you did that against higher-quality opposition, too, mm-hmm. um, in all three games. So you want to see that continue for Michigan State. You know, this is an area that could be a real advantage in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the fifth key is just busting some of the slumps uh, that we've seen recently. Christy uh, in the Bahamas and Joey Hauser just shooting the ball. Yeah, those guys uh, – it's if related. they get on track, man, this becomes another level for Michigan State if they can get it, on track. It does. And, and it look, no ifs, ands, or buts. If Max Christie and Joey Hauser play the rest of the year the way they have in these first seven games, 
Michigan State's not going to be nearly as good as they could be. You know, I mean, that's a pretty obvious statement, but I think it's a very true one. Mm-hmm. They have Those guys have to be better. We know they've got it in them to be much better. Can they be better? Uh, that needs to start in this game. You know, with Max, Izzo talked about it today. Uh, I saw some of the quotes. He said, you know, Max found out what it's like to be top of the scouting report because he said the, the feeling they had was um, that uh, those teams were really dialed in to guard him. And he didn't get many easy looks. I, I certainly mm-hmm. remember that, like, anecdotally. Uh, so he just needs – look, he he does other things. The shooting's going to come. He will be able to hit shots. I don't lose a lot of sleep over that. But the longer it goes, the tougher it becomes to get on track. So you want to see him starting to put up strong efforts pretty soon here. Mm-hmm. With Joey, it's – I've said this here before, and I really do think it's the case. Um, he would be well served by stripping things down. Hmm. Um, I think that he tries – to do too much with the ball in his hands, you know, he's. You see him frequently. He gets a defensive rebound, and then he's leading, trying to lead the break. Yeah, I, I don't want to see that. That's yeah. my feeling. I don't know how Tom Izzo feels about it, but if it were me, and I were trying to get a guy dialed in with the thing, you you know, you absolutely need two things from him. You need him to play a certain amount of minutes because he gives you a pick and pop threat at the four that if your offense is going to be anywhere near 100% of what it can be, you need that. Mm-hmm. You know, Malik Call has shot a very good percentage early this season, but that's never going to be the entirety of his game, nor should it be. I think part of the reason he's shooting a good percentage is he's generally taking really good shots. Mm-hmm. Joey Hauser's a guy you need to take threes. He's got to do that for you. Um, They also need him out there, I think, as a defensive rebounder. I think he's arguably their best defensive rebounder. He's not their best offensive rebounder, but I think he's their best defensive rebounder. So you need him out there. They've got to find a way to get him to be more consistent as a jump shooter because I think, as opposed to a lot of other kids, this is just my opinion. I can't prove this. But to me, Joey has always played, at least he's been since he's been at Michigan State, he has been one of these guys whose entire demeanor is kind of determined by the way he starts off shooting the ball. If he hits a couple shots early, he's dialed in. Yeah. And he's giving you a better overall effort. If he's not shooting the ball well, then he can struggle a little more. He's never going to be a great defensive player but I think he's better when he's hitting shots. And Michigan State needs him to hit shots anyway for the reasons mm-hmm. I suggested. If they don't have that threat, the offense bogs down in ways that they really they, they can't afford. You know, So really important to get these two guys going. You know? Yeah, I almost wish they would give him like a, like a, some sort of look from like a 17-footer or something like that in the beginning. Like he hit one of those the other day on the one game where he hit two two threes, I think. Yeah. And he got, like, a little 17-footer to start him off. And then it seemed like – I don't know. Sometimes it just seems like there's a lot of pressure when 
those shots are just like wide open at the top of the key, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and he hasn't hit anything look, yet. He's to his credit. I mean, I think the shots that he has taken have been good shots and they've looked good coming out. He has been snake bit a little bit. Yeah. You know, Max Christie has had some air balls, some, you know, he's been, because of the way he's been guarded, he's had tougher shots. Joey has had a lot of open looks. That's true. And they've been good shots. They've looked good. They just mm-hmm. in and out. They just haven't gone. So, but but again, it's the confidence is what you worry about, especially with a guy like him. You know, certain guys, Gabe Brown, Gabe Brown, I don't think will ever lack for confidence. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. just who he is. You know, he's just one of those guys. AJ Hogard, for better or for worse. We'll never lack for confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I sometimes I wish he would have a little less of it, but uh, but with Joey, it absolutely affects him. You see it when Joey gets up to a tough start; he'll start passing on open looks, mm-hmm. and th- th- he can't do that. It bogs things down, you know. So I'm with you. I think finding easy opportunities early for him, and then as I was getting at. Stripping it down. No more leading the break. No more looking for him to really do a lot of playmaking mm-hmm. or be a, be, a, be a secondary ball handling option as much as he has been. You know, I would if you want to use him kind of for some high-low playmaking, fine. But I, I, if it were me, I think that's what I would be looking to do is just say to Joey, look, here's your responsibilities. We want you to shoot the three. We're going to use you in pick and roll, pick and pop to get those shots. Um, we need you to rebound the hell out of the ball, especially on the defensive end, and try your goddamn best to guard somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And then see if that gets him rolling. I think I think at times, you know, he's trying to do too many things, and it, it just does not play well. I know, I know Izzo's been – he's talked about it since he got here, even the season he had to sit out. He's talked about how Joey had, you know, great passing skills, and you know he compared him to Draymond at one point. Um, it just has not played out in games that way. So I would say strip it down and see if that improves results in the areas MSU absolutely needs him. Okay. Well, uh, any final thoughts heading into this one? You know, I, I think this is. Uh, it's certainly nothing is a make or break at this stage of the season. Mm. But I kind of feel like this is an important game for Michigan State. If they want to maintain the momentum that I think they have going in the early season, particularly coming out of what we all kind of include, even Tom Izzo concluded was a successful Atlantis. You know, you feel pretty good coming out of that tournament. Hey, you know, beat two teams that are NCAA tournament caliber and – we're right there for a half with a team that looks even better than that. Mm-hmm. That's And then you ran out of gas and you lost. Okay. But you did a lot of good things in that field. And so you've got that sense of momentum. And as we've talked about, you get past this game and all of a sudden the schedule is going to start opening up for Michigan State. You know, mm-hmm. they've, got a, they've got some games. They certainly will have a couple of Big Ten games coming up here in early December. But those are games that look, on the surface at least, look like you ought to win them if you're any good, right? 
Um, and then you have this stretch from, what is it, the 11th through the 29th where there's only one game. You know, so I think you want to get these kind of wins banked so you can get to that point feeling good about where you are in terms of what you've accomplished, your resume, and then you have some time to go work on yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, and so this is, and look, you're at home. You're at home. This is not a, a powerhouse Louisville team. This is a Louisville team that, you know, is is probably an NCAA tournament caliber team, but not overwhelmingly so. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if they find their way onto the bubble. Um, I don't think that they're going to be um, a real contender in the ACC. I mean, pretty clearly from what I've seen, that it's it's going to be Duke and everybody else. It's the way it looks at the moment. But um, you know, this would I mean, even this year without having a little less horsepower than we're used to. That's still going to look like a pretty good win, most likely come March. So you're at home. You have what I think is a better team than they do. That's my feeling. You ought to win the game. Mm-hmm. So you just got to go out and do it. <laughs> you know, but the, a, more, the more hopefully the, the, yeah. the Big Ten does a little bit better in this than they did in the Gavit games. Well, uh, yeah, you know, this is – you're right. This is – the Big Ten recovered a little bit in Feast Week, not all the way, but Wisconsin – one Maui, I think, right? Michigan State gets to the finals of, of uh, Atlantis. So those are the two big boy tournaments. Mm-hmm. And the Big Ten entrant fared pretty well in. Um, you know, uh, maybe some other, obviously Maryland lost their game to Louisville, so that wasn't great. But you're right. The Big Ten needs, for for net purposes, you would like to see the Big Ten have a good week. I'm, I'm watching... Uh, Right now, as we're recording this, and Iowa may pull off an upset at EVA. They just took the lead with eight seconds left. Um, but uh, it would be nice for the conference, and Iowa won it. So that's big for the Big Ten, <laughs> getting a, a game I wouldn't have thought they had a chance in hell to win. Not that not that Virginia is great this year, but um, I don't think very much of Iowa outside of the Murray kid, and to get that win on the road and yeah. play, yeah. So you're right. We're gonna, we're gonna you're gonna want to see um, that stuff uh, that the league play well in this thing because it really is the last big opportunity you have to make a move in net. There will be the random, you know, other game there, or a few a few of them that will come up for certain teams uh, that will have non-conference games yet in December that'll be meaningful. But this is the last big one. And you're right. The Gavit games kind of put the conference in in a less uh a less advantageous position so if they can hold their own in this thing uh that would help okay well we'll get the post game up after that one until then the final four is not on the schedule Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. 
Granger, for the ones who get it done.